from runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 678, Office 365 Intelligent Substrate with guest Jeffrey Snover. Recorded Wednesday, February 19th, 2020. Run As Radio is produced each week by Sound Thoughts LLC. For more information, visit soundthoughtsllc.com. You can follow us online at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell. Thanks for listening to Run As Radio, bringing back one of my favorites today. It's Jeffrey Snover, who's a technical fellow at Microsoft and an architect for the Office 365 Intelligent Substrate. Prior to that, he was the chief architect of the Azure Storage and Edge Group and the Windows Server. And he's the inventor of PowerShell, the open source cross-platform, object-based distributed automation engine, scripting language, and command line shell. Jeff joined Microsoft back in 1999 as an architect for the Management and Services Division, providing technical direction across Microsoft's management, technologies, and products. Welcome back, sir. Hey, how you doing? And uh, I'm in awe of this new role. Like, you already have the best job, I think the best job in technology. Like, is there, Mm -hmm. I I can't imagine anything more fun than being a technical fellow. Really? Yeah, I don't know. No, I think every, every job's sort of fun. Like, you know, that first coding job where, like, nobody expects much from you? Right. Like, I remember, you know, I had this, like, longstanding problem with, you know, issue with my wife, who we, I met her at a startup company, and she continued. She just thought I was a dirtbag. And uh-huh. I said, well, why? And the answer is because I told her, I said, you know, programming's a racket. And she says, a racket? What do you mean it's a racket? I said, yeah, no, it's a freaking racket. It's unbelievable. I mean... <laughs> They they let me use a computer. Like they let me use it, and they let me use it as much as I want. I can program, and I would be paying them, <laughs> but they pay me. Unbelievable. And anyway, so I, you know, there's those days where I would just like close, turn off all the lights, close the door, and just code. Yeah. Just me and my compiler. And I got to tell you, though, that was a, that was great. I just couldn't, I just couldn't conceive that they would actually pay me. To, to work on it. So, those those are good days, but yeah. The, the every job's kind of fun. Yeah, you're right. There are, There's pleasures in every job. In some ways, yours seems very complicated now, too. Like, I don't know if you remember Anders Vinberg. Uh, awesome technical fellow. Awesome technical fellow. At some point, he'd spent about a year trying to convince us that we had, had we were organized wrong. Instead of be, being organized around disciplines, operations management, configuration management, we should be op- organized around you know uh, segments, clients, and then servers. Mm-hmm. And it took about a year to finally convince everybody of that, and we made the change. And I remember telling him, Anders, man, you, you know, congratulations. You just drove a really big change. Problem is, I don't know whether we should like be giving you a, a, a huge bonus or firing you, and we won't know for seven years. <laughs> right. And so that's that's the deal at these positions. You know, you don't really know. Like it, when you're writing code, you know, yeah. good code, Wait. bad code. When you make a call, like, I think we should organize this way or that way. You know, five, seven years later, you're going to know whether you were right or wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It's literally not going to show. It's not, it's going to show up on the balance sheet in several years. Exactly. It's, it's, exactly. It's, those are big, long, hard, hard bets to make. No question. So you've been the father of PowerShell because you'll always be the father of PowerShell. It's been your, your focus for a long time. What's this new job? Office 365? 
Yeah. So basically, you know, uh, it's about a year plus ago, um, I decided, hey, you know, we have this saying at Microsoft, if you've been in your job and haven't been scared uh, S-less yeah. <laughs> of your job. You have very scared of your job in a couple of years. You need to find a new job. Interesting. Anyway, so at some point I've been looking at this and I said, you know, I, I sort of feel comfortable. I haven't been scared in a while. I haven't had a real challenge. And, you know, honestly, I've been doing this for about 40 years. So what do I want to do? Right? Do I want to retire? Do I want to go work at another company? Do I want to you know, get a new challenge? And so I explored a number of these things. And part of the exploration, uh, Perry Clark, I said, well, you know, what are the things I want? Oh, a great mission, a great team, and somewhere where I'm going to really learn a new set of things. And uh, Perry Clark offered me this incredible opportunity to be the technical fellow in charge of artificial intelligence for Office 365. And I remember thinking, well, that can't be right. Like, if I understand you right, it's like, the most important new technology, artificial intelligence, on our most valuable customer asset, our customer data. Like, and you're offering that job to me? Like, how can that be? Like, I don't know anything. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, let's come do it. So that's what I've been doing. And, and you are talking about one of the oldest products that Microsoft makes, right? Like the first version of Windows is like 1990. Oh, man. You know, I was, I was in a meeting the other day and I looked to the right of me and there's this guy who's been working in office forever. And like he hired uh, uh, Satya Nadella into the company when he was working <laughs> in office. Oh, my goodness. And he's still working on office. Yeah. Anyway, just the, the you know, it's indeed, it's a very long and storied uh, uh, business charter, one of the most successful businesses in the history of mankind. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm indeed, lots of the people have been here forever. Yeah, you, you talk about that mantra, that idea of a desktop on every desk, right? A PC on every desk. Office was a key part of making that come true. Funny you should say that. Mm -hmm. Funny you should say that because I talk about this. I say, hey, you know, let me let me draw a distinction between our old motto, a desktop. What was it? A desktop. A and PC every, on every desk. Yeah. Every desk. Okay. Yeah. And our new motto, right? Uh, uh, enable every empower every person and and organization to achieve more. Right. The first one. PC on it's technology focused yes. and it's Microsoft focused, mm -hmm. right? Whereas the other one is like people and they're success focused. And I just love it so much. And honestly, coming to my office has been, you know, the, it, it, it was as though, is it big enough change as though I went to a different company? It's that yeah. different. And, uh, and indeed, what one of the things that I've been delighted by is how easy it is to point the, you know, connect the dots between anything anyone's working on today, tomorrow, next week, next month, and that company mission. Like everything is focused in on making people and organizations successful. That's, that's really fun. Yeah, they've almost uh, defined the concept of a productivity tool. Like yeah. it is the definitive productivity tool. Well, and then the other thing that surprised me is like at some point, like, hey, you know, how much, you know, more juice can you get from the squeeze out of a sure. productivity tool? And the answer is, oh, my heavens, you have <laughs> just just put your seatbelt on. It, it is going to blow your mind what is we are working on, what we're delivering. Uh, it is just phenomenal. Really. I mean, I, I'm shocked at how much more juice there is to get out of the squeeze here. Well, and, and it's it's almost like you're discovering new things. Like, it's obvious to me and anybody who's been around for a while, like, the actions at Office 365, and it's not about Word, Excel, PowerPoint, Access, Outlook. It's all those other things that are a part of Office 365. 
It's the, the graph and planner and, uh, and teams, like all of those bits that seem to be the glue to, to collaborating. Right. And then the usage information that allows us to know how to be relevant for you. Right. So, so let me give you an example. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we put everything, every, you know, so here's one of the big difference between office that you run on premises and office 365 mm -hmm. office 365. Basically there's something we call the substrate. Okay. At some point I said, boy, that's a lousy name. Nobody knows what it means. They said, no, that's why it's a great name. Any other name people would think they know what it means and they're wrong. So <laughs> substrate <laughs> gives us the opportunity to say, here's what it is. Okay. So basically think of it as, you know, sort of the world's largest, planetary scale NoSQL data system. Now, notice I didn't say NoSQL database. It is right. a no, we have a NoSQL database, but it's a NoSQL data system because every time you do a write, then we will take it on a, to a database, we'll take that and do a, a write to three other locations, one of them at least 250 miles apart away so that we have constant uh, and we're constantly failing over for disaster recovery, high availability, right? There's no difference in our world. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so it's this incredible planetary scale NoSQL data system. Now, whether it's Office, uh, SharePoint, OneDrive, et cetera, basically everything gets put into this planetary scale NoSQL database. And either its primary is home is there for things like exchange, calendar, et cetera, mm -hmm. or its primary home is somewhere else, but there's a digital twin of it in the database. So think OneDrive. OneDrive, your shares are, your files are in Azure storage, but then we produce a digital twin in the substrate and it's the definitive, uh, 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 controller of the artifact. Right. Then that allows us to do a set of wonderful things, common information protection, common availability, common search. So I was talking to somebody just yesterday, right? I was talking to the uh, PowerShell PM and it's like, you know, blah, 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 blah. And we're talking about just really how <laughs> we're just like geeking out at how great the Microsoft software has become over the last couple of years. And, and he said something like, da, da, da. well, you use office.com. He said, no, I, I don't. What are you talking about? I said, oh, go to office.com and just do a search for something. So he goes to office.com and he searches marketing. It's like, hey, it's showing me the guy I worked with the, on, uh, on Ignite for the marketing. He's nowhere in my organization. How'd that work? It's like, yeah, because we understand your signals. We understand you, right? So if you think about artificial, I'll go somewhere and then come right back. If you think about artificial intelligence, a lot of artificial intelligence is about understanding you to achieve an objective. Right. Competitors try and understand you to get you to buy, you know, some a, a deodorant that you don't need or a, a bagel or something or click on some ad or subvert some democracy that they want subverted, right? <laughs> For us... It's all about we want to understand you to make you more successful, make you and your organization more successful. So it's just a great mission. So the point is that, hey, we understand you. We see who you're talking with. We see who you're sharing files with. We see whose emails you're reading more than others. We see the duration when something comes in from someone and you respond to it quicker than someone else. They're more important to you. So we're developing this social graph so that we can then use it to make you more successful. So you say at Microsoft Marketing, guess what? That translates to, you know, tens of thousands of people. Well, which ones should I show you? Well, how about the ones that are most relevant to you? And that's how that works. Wow. So we're wow. using this usage data not to be 
not to put more money in our bank account or not to show you an advertisement, not to get you to buy some product. We're using this information to make you more successful. And that's where things are getting really, really, really exciting. Sure. I mean, the byproduct of it is more usage. I mean, the bottom line is if every time you go to office.com, it leads you to the things you should work on next and helps you be more productive, you're going to do more of that. And there is a subscription involved, but it certainly sounds worthwhile. Absolutely. Yeah. So that, I mean, substrate being the underlying layer, what makes it intelligent substrate? Like, is it, uh, it's all of that trying to figure out what you need next? So what is the intelligence? So the substrate is this kind of core data system, Mm -hmm. okay? And then the intelligence substrate is the layer on top of that that enables AI, okay? So how do we get that information in a compliant, privacy-protecting way and make it available to our data scientists so that they can run their experiments using compute that doesn't interact or interfere with your usage of of uh, uh, email or uh, 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 communications. So they can go like do all this crazy ass modeling in a way that uh, is privacy protecting and secure. And then when they figure out a model, how do I deploy it at a planetary scale? Right? How do I deploy it? When do I deploy it? Do I deploy it on GPUs, these models, on, on CPUs, on FPGAs, on GPUs, et cetera? Mm-hmm. So it's this layer on top of the core data, right? If you recall, we used to have this distinction between storage and data. Mm-hmm. This is sort of like the next layer. There's storage, there's data, and then there's intelligence uh, services on top of it. Well, uh, certainly relations between the data, the fact that these two things are adjacent to each other. Like I think about e-commerce recommendation engines you know if you're interested in this you might be interested in that as well this almost seems like a deeper form of that although you've got these algorithms that are that are doing this overall study do those same algorithms apply to everyone more or less equally or are there actually algorithms per organization well there are there can be models per organization but Mm -hmm. they're all sort of the same algorithms right but different models if you see what i mean you know like some of the algorithms some Sometimes we have algorithms and sometimes we have models. Right. Some of those models are, are built on general language models. And uh, we're in the process of trying to uh, get the per tenant or per user language models. We've shown demonstrations of that in uh, at Ignite. So an example would be um, when you're like if we were having this meeting and transcribing it. One language, you know, a generic language model would just say, okay, I don't know who these people are. I don't know what they're talking about. I'll just try and recognize the syllables I hear and translate that to words. Sure. Uh, a, a better language model would say, hey, these are two geeks in the computer industry. So when they say Kubernetes, like, oh, there's that's a thing. I know what this thing right. called Kubernetes is. And so when they say the strange, you know, syllables, I know that that's a real thing. Better yet, it's like, oh, well, it, it's Jeffrey and it's Richard, and they've got accents, or they got ways of saying things, or mispronouncing things, and I can, I know that, and I can get an even higher accuracy. So those different levels. Now let me give you an example of of what I meant by this. I didn't close the loop on this intelligence substrate. Sure. So I send you a file. Okay, I send you an email. In that email is a file. Okay, it lands in your inbox. When it lands in your inbox, the intelligent substrate layer then fires off this event or an event's fired and the intelligent substrate gets involved to say, okay, now, 
who has registered for processing this information? Uh, a bunch of things are. One of those things will go open up the file and then uh, uh, index it. You know, we'll email in the file and produce search index terms and feed a big search index. <clears throat> Another one might go in there and say, hey, I'm going to do an analysis of this file to look to see are there any action items or commitments. And if so, what it does is it goes and rewrites it uh, on the entity. Actually, here's a great example. Um, this is the one that helped me really get in focus. You know, have you seen smart replies yet? No. So you get an email, like you see it mostly on your phone, right? You'll get an email and uh, you'll be reading uh, uh, it on your phone and it'll, there'll be a button like, yes, no, how about next Tuesday? Right. Those are smart yeah. replies. I've seen those. Saying, well, how's, that, how's that work? And the answer is an email comes in, uh, AI gets involved, looks at the email, says, oh, uh, it looks like they're asking a question. Looks like I know potential values for that question. Here are three or four potential values to answer that question. And what it does is it goes and it writes um, new properties on the email. Okay, new properties on the email. So when you have an email object, remember it's a NoSQL database, so I can extend the schema any way I want. So I've got this email object in NoSQL. It's got a body, it's got a header, it's got a from, to, all that good stuff. And now all of a sudden it's got smart replies, which is an array of strings. Huh. And so then the client has to be updated. So when it see, gets a, a, a says, read me an email, it gets this and it has to know, check this email to see, are there any smart replies? And if so, render them as buttons. And so that's why sometimes for the AI to work, sometimes for the AI to work, you have to update the client. Right. Yeah. And that's why that's why if you want to see the latest and greatest um, AI features in Office 365, use OWA. Like, I don't know about you. I used OWA about 10 years ago. I thought it was the worst thing in the world. I said, <laughs> nah, no. Then people are like, oh, OWA's gotten better. So I used it about five years ago. And I was like, no, it isn't. <laughs> and now I come to the new job. It's like, uh, they say, oh, all the new features are in OWA. It's like, okay, well, I'll give it a try. It's fantastic. I mean, it's not 100% of the things that I used to do in Outlook, but it is fantastic. And that's where all the new features show up. Anyway, so OWA, um, use OWA or uh, office.com uh, and you'll start to see the new features show up there. Right. That's where they first appear. And Jeff, I'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. Office is the only app you have to support. You have Office, browsers, business apps, and that crazy app from nine years ago where you can't find the developer and still need to manage that app too. Don't panic, you've got Policy Pack. Policy Pack enables you to manage your applications and browser security settings, plus safely remove local admin rights. With Policy Pack, you can dictate the right browser for the right website, lock down security settings for applications, and enable your standard users to overcome UAC prompts for applications and the operating system. Discover the secret that thousands of admins already know to keep their machines more secure using Group Policy or Microsoft Endpoint Manager system that they already use. Supercharge your desktop and application management with Policy Pack. Come to PolicyPack.com and get started with your free trial today. Policy Pack, securing your standards. And we're back. It's Run As Radio. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Jeffrey Snover. We're talking a little bit about Office 365's intelligent substrate. And this ability for all these, uh, all this data essentially to be uh, analyzed together and to find connections between them, maybe that we don't normally see. 
I, I, I remember, what was it called? Delve? Delve, yes. Yeah, that seemed related to this. That just that yep. finding the, just making someone aware, hey, you're, you know, you two people in this organization are actually kind of working on the same thing, even if you're not on the same team. Yep. Yeah, you know, the way I've, I was just explaining it to somebody over lunch today or mm-hmm. in a mentoring conversation, I said, well, look, in the past, you had a file or you know, artifact and you put it in a hierarchy. And then you had to like rootle around like, oh, where was it? No, did I set it up in the right hierarchy? And oh, somebody's thinking about it differently. So they're never going to find that information, right? right? And then, well, okay, well, then you got the equivalent of symbolic links. So you can put it a couple different places. But search breaks that down. Search, when it works across everything, says, hey, I don't care what the hierarchy it is. I don't care what t- data type it is. I can find the stuff for you. So it breaks that problem down. Right. Then you have the issue of, okay, but now I did a search. I searched marketing. I got 10,000 people. Like, uh, thanks for breaking down the hierarchy. But that hierarchy existed for a reason. So how are you going to show me the, the marketing person I was interested in? And so search uses, again, the Bing technology to use this ranking to find out the information that's relevant for you. So now it's not just search, it's relevant search. Right. By the way, there's an interesting story about this. When I came here, we had some meeting with Satya or Bill, and, and afterwards my boss was kind of like frustrated. And I said, well, you know, what's the concern? He says, well, you know, what these guys aren't quite getting is that, is that you know, they think that the internet is large. I said, well, it is large. He says, no, it isn't. The internet's tiny. He says, we have many, many, many more orders of magnitude, more objects in the substrate than the, than there are in the internet. Wow. I said, is, can that be true? He said, absolutely. I mean, many orders of magnitude more. Every single email, every single conversation, every single appointment, every single meeting instance, uh, all your documents, it's many orders. So when we took the Bing search technology, it wasn't, oh, how do we scale this to work on Office? No. How do you take that and scale it up to work on Office? Yeah. How's that for a mind? That's an interesting <laughs> problem. And it's just a recognition. There's many more elements of data inside of large organizations than than, than than are even on all of the internet. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating, fascinating. So then, by the way, so then, then it gets even better. So now you love this, now you connect it. So first you had hierarchies, navigate hierarchies, and now you got search, and now you got relevant search. And that relevance will just get better and better as we better understand you, and we better understand you through greater AI and greater understanding of natural language processing. So I really understand what you're saying as opposed to kind of get the gist. But then what we're doing, and we announced this at Ignite, something we call Cortex. What Cortex does is says, hey, I'm going to look at a bunch of the things, the conversations going on. And from that, I'm going to have this probabilistic identity system. Very cool. And above some uh, probabilistic uh, threshold, I'll say, hey, people are talking about a project. There's this project, Alexandria. And here are the people that are talking about it the most. So this project now associates people. It associates documents. And eventually, it will associate uh, instances of meetings. And then might have gotten it right, might have gotten it wrong. Right. So we publish it as a wiki, wiki format. Mm-hmm. So somebody can come in and say, no, that's not a project. Or they'll come in and say, yeah, that's, you got it right. That's a project. Uh, but here you missed these people. Add some more people or add some more documents. Um, and now all of a sudden, this then becomes uh, a new way to navigate all the objects of the system. And, well, and to build new relationships. Like the tricky part for me is 
in my mind, that is, if you make modifications to that wiki, does the substrate understand those changes, can see those new relationships? Yes. So here's the thing. Uh, what story? Really, how deep do you want to go? Okay, let's go. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> um, okay. So, you know, uh, I'm going to get this wrong. It's either fluid or fluent. This, this, uh, you know, multi, uh, person collaboration protocol that we uh, have been showing. Are you familiar with that? Yeah. Isn't that, well, the fluent is the design system, right? Yeah. One of them is a design system. The other is this underlying collaboration protocol and technology. So I think that's fluid. Fluid. Okay. There you go. So if you think about fluid, it's effectively sort of a, a get protocol on documents. Right. Right. Say, oh, I can have multiple people and then you merge and you views and versions, et cetera. Well, effectively, that's the same thing. Right. That the AI is one of the authors um, to this document, but that other people can document, add to it, et cetera. And then you merge the the uh, things together. Awesome. Yeah, now, yeah. We saw that at Ignite as, as like a technology preview. Exactly. Yeah, it, but where we're going here now, another example is basically the point is that entities – both natural and synthetic, provide mechanisms to f- to uh, link to other entities. So another example I should have started with this is a, the person searched for marketing, mm-hmm. found a, a relevant search, found the right marketing person. You can click on that person and get what's called a people card. The people card shows you contact information, but also shows you organizational information. It'll show you the emails you've had with that person, mm-hmm. and it'll show you files, files that they've recently been working on, files that recently been working on that we think are going to be relevant to you. And so you look at these things, and you're like, oh, my heavens. So I just had a one-on-one today. I'm like, oh, what's this guy been working on? And so I, beforehand, I went and looked, and it's like, oh, he's been working on AI with this other company. What's that all about? And then when we start, it's like, hey, tell me about this thing. So it now provides these ways to find information that you've never had before. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the number of times just searching for email the old-fashioned way, you know, it's it's really quite painful. The idea that you just open their contact card and everything you know, you know, all your interactions with them would appear. Yes. Just a, a lot of pain removed. It also occurs to me, you know, we used to put a lot of energy into building these collaborative networks. A lot of this is now just automatic. It happens because people are doing work. Yeah, exactly. Right. So there's the that whole story about, oh, well, there's the organization as defined by an org chart. And then there's the, org- the real organization. And the real organization is defined by who's having conversations with who. Right. And we are able to intuit that real organization mm-hmm. and use the real organization to then uh, um, deliver more value. When you talk about what it takes to get up to speed in a new org it is that it's yeah i know what the org chart says how do we actually get things done yes and in fact that's been super super helpful in fact Mm -hmm. boy i wish i had some of the tools we're now bringing online back when i started sure so one of the things we're doing is like is uh uh, acronyms right so you come to a new place all the acronyms like i've got no idea they say oh well you know if you if there's something you don't understand just stop the meeting it's like no that's not going to work like the first four months all the all the meetings could have been held in Russian for as much as I was understanding, <laughs> like literally, like 
every word. I had no idea what they were saying. And so, you know, again, you read the documents, every all these acronyms, yeah. the ability to then say, hey, there's a system out there that understood the acronyms. And now in Word, you can go and look, there's an acronym pain, and it'll show you, oh, here's what this means, AKS, you know, Azure Kubernetes Service, mm-hmm. or whatever, Azure Key Service, whatever, um, and, and help you through that. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that as a consultant, that was often, that's what you spent your Monday morning doing was learning the glossary of the organization. Yeah. And the idea that you could emerge a glossary for an organization just by looking at its communications, start just recognizing all those definitions and asking where necessary. Like a lot of them you're going to be able to derive and some of them you're not. Yep. But the the idea of actually, it's interesting to think about in terms of Office 365 having like office glossary. It's like, here are the terms that are particularly important within this organization. Isn't that neat? Yeah, it's almost a very, you know, imagine that as a cloud tag, right? Or the most commonly used words are the largest. Because mm-hmm. it also is, to, in some ways, that is reflecting the culture of the place, too. Right. When you talk about it, it's the language that it actually uses as a whole. Because I, I definitely think you could find in different corners of an organization more pessimistic or optimistic mindsets, you know, more collaborative or more restrictive mindsets. And I wonder if those word clouds wouldn't show that. Like, what does this say about a culture? Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That would be interesting. You know, funny you should say that. I've often, you know, like, so um, I used to have what uh, I used to call a, a regret filter on my outbox. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is to say, you know, I, I, something would trigger me and I'd send this, you know, uh, profanity-laced uh, email to someone. And uh, that happened with sufficient frequency that – and then I'd send it and it's like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Uh, that but he comes off and you're like, ah, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> and so basically you send it and it goes into this, this waiting loop for five minutes and then it sends it. And the number of times that I like, oh, I shouldn't do that. And I go back and I'd edit it, cut out the swear words, ask more questions, et cetera. Um, and now I, I don't do that too much. I mean, I've, I've fixed that. But what I would love is for the system to kind of like uh, often, you know, just provide me like a tone check. Like, yeah. hey, you're, you're being kind of uh, pointy here. Did you want to be? Yeah. Because it's like – no, I do want to be. Yep, I want to be pointy. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> it is time to be up. pointy. I want to be clear. I think you messed up. Or other times, it's like, no, I don't, I don't mean to. Oh, I see how you can think that. Yeah, so. but it's all. But this is the idea of sentiment analysis on your own stuff as you go. When I'm writing those pointy emails, I mangle the email address so it won't send. Oh, I love it. And love then it. I, By the way, that is not something we're currently working on. Right. Uh, but it's, again, to the statement of there is so much more juice to get out of the squeeze for sure. productivity. Well, you know, you want to go a level up from that. If you recognize there's two people, the, both these people are in the same organization. And so they've had sort of the same analysis. Like if you started understanding the the tones of each other, you could almost have a shaped Here's the optimal way to communicate with this person tool. There was a oh, link- you're so smart. Uh, yes, there was yes, a LinkedIn right. plugin for that, like this. What's that? There was a LinkedIn plugin. It was like a service you could pay for that analyzed oh. what the, a person did on LinkedIn and made suggestions for how to communicate with them most effectively in a cold call. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I don't know that how was- accurate it was. I, I got you know offered it as a as a, uh, a trial and sort of play with it. Because often I use LinkedIn for, for finding new guests. 
mm-hmm. right? And so I'm I'm a, I'm somebody who makes legit cold calls, you know, and try to so say, hey, I'd like to, you know, I've read your stuff. I'd, I'd like you to come on the show. And so that ability to say, what's the right way to communicate with it with that particular person? Like certainly, I've worked hard on making asks well, but making asks that are tuned to an individual. Funny you should say that. It's it's brilliant because you're exactly right. I often tell people that, you know, one of the skill sets I have as a technical fellow is I I know how to talk to people. And what that means is that basically different people, different individuals or different roles need to hear different words in order to hear the same message. Yes, absolutely true. Hey, I found it. Crystal is the name of the tool. Huh. Uh, And it was, it was a, it was an extension on Chrome that worked in LinkedIn. Uh, I think it still exists. And, and it would show, again, it would make sort of suggestions of here's how this person likes to communicate. And again, I don't know how accurate or well it is, but it is along these lines of tooling that would help us optimize communication. I love it. Well, and it's, it's what we're, it's where we are. You know, how long have we been debating and working on building better collaborative tools in our organizations? Yeah, since the beginning, right? It's, it's always been the challenge. And it's interesting that that the the substrate and the cloud, like this is the place now where we finally have a way to look across all of the information and to make it more readily available. Every place I ever worked, every place I ever consulted, we always had that same conversation of there's a tremendous value stashed away in these servers. We just can't find it. <laughs> exactly. We just can't find yeah, it. I remember we, having a, when I came to the company, I remember doing a, a listening tour about WMI, and one partner said, oh, they had a love-hate relationship with WMI. I said, oh, really? That's interesting. Why? What do you love about it? And they said, anything you could possibly want to know about a system is available through WMI. I said, yeah, so why do you hate it? He said, we can't find any of yeah. it. Yeah, inside of every Windows computer was its own little internet. Everything you need to know is there. You just can't find it. Yeah, right. Here's your rabbit's foot. Best yeah. of luck, Mike. Yeah, good luck. Dig deep. Search hard. Yeah. But that I think that's true of all these organizations too. There's all this information that is manifest in the documents and spreadsheets and emails that they create that tells you about them, tells you about the, what they're working on, tells you how they like to communicate. And if we just brought that information together in a bigger way, everybody gets more productive. Yeah. You know, so one of the things we're, we're trying to do, so here's the hypothesis. Okay, you're going to like this a little mm-hmm. bit. So basically, like, you know, Mark Weiser wrote this paper, Satya quotes a lot, and in it, he, he doesn't get the good quote. The right quote to quote is that when the computer understands the human, instead of the human having to understand the computer, interacting with the computer will be as refreshing as a walk in the woods. Now, when was the last time you spent all day with the computer and thought, wow, that was as refreshing as a walk in the woods? Oh, no. <laughs> exactly zero times yes. in my 40 plus years doing this stuff, right? But I b- truly believe that that is possible. And so, again, it, like when we understand you, when we understand your objectives, your style, et cetera, and we start – so in the past, right, it's, how many times have you heard that, oh – um, Oh, Microsoft, you know, I have to understand your org chart in order to get anything done, right? And it's true. Yeah. But the point about AI is we're going to use AI to understand you and to help you get your org, your job done independent of 
our org chart, independent of our tool uh, boundaries. Mm -hmm. The AI is going to figure it out for you and to help you uh, 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 be productive. So that's one of the big goals here is to use AI to break down the silos. Awesome. Yeah. And and, and it makes total sense to be able to do that too. Is all we... Is all we need to do to start taking advantage of this just to be on Office 365? Like, are there particular things that, for me as an IT person trying to en- enable my organization to be more effective, I should be doing with Office 365? Um, no, really. It's just use Office 365. Yeah. And I would say, you know, again, as I say, the, the different tools update at different cadences. Mm-hmm. You know, Outlook, great tool, but it's not as uh, – it uh, doesn't get the features as quickly as OWOA. Right. Um, Office.com, if you haven't used that. And then again, the applications on mobile. Boy, uh, talk about a, a, a crazy success story. Office on everything. Right. All the clients. I mean, they really are quite good. You know, at some point, I, I bought a Chromebook just to say, you know, what is this thing? And what is it? Is it a thread? Is it a, you know, what is it? And it's sort of like, eh, you know, eh. And then Office ran on, on the browser and I tried it again. It's like, oh, you know what? This is actually pretty good. Yeah. So they've done a fantastic job. Anyway, so all the web, uh, uh, the web, the mobile stuff, they get things the the, the fastest. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah, anything derived directly from the cloud, you're going to get it there first. Anything that has to be deployed to a workstation takes longer. Yep. And it is an emerging uh, story. So search much better now than it was, you know, a year ago. Yeah. Wait to see next year. It'll be even better. Um, and it will continue to grow. So let me say, so one of my goals in this intelligence substrate is to figure out how to do AI orders of magnitude more, right? right. So we're doing AI, doing some fantastic stuff, but the, the clock rate at which we're able to do AI, because we're not doing, because we're not like our competitors, um, we respect our customers' data. Our customers' data is the customers' data. It's not ours. Mm-hmm. Um, and that puts, that makes things very, very difficult. So our ability to, uh, uh, turn the clock is, is a bit, you know, the cadence is a bit of a challenge. And so we're going through a, a number of architectural changes to be able to try and, you know, basically, add, you know, do a couple, many orders of magnitude more AI. Yeah. And so what that translates to is your AI features, you're going to see start to get exponentially better over the course of the next couple of years. It's also interesting to think about who's being successful with AI too. I know there's a huge push at Microsoft to help all of us in the field as customers use your tools to get value for organizations, but I'm excited that you're using them to help us ultimately. Like I've, I look at how smart Azure's gotten about giving me security warnings and, and utilization efficiencies and, and those sort of things. They all seem like this machine learning model being applied to everything going on in the cloud. Yeah, exactly. Well, friend, what's next for you? You, you clearly are in an interesting place. There's more, I imagine. Yeah, well, get competent at my current job. You've had I, a, I, you're I, a my year in. That I, are you feeling good about it yet? It's been a year. Yeah, so you know, you know, I wanted a big challenge. This is a two big challenges. Uh, my get what is my joke is that I underestimated the degree of change and challenge required to moving to office. Really, kind of completely different culture, different company, and uh, the amount of difficulty in picking up AI. And I dramatically overestimated my degree of comfort with change. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> it has been a difficult year, but sort of week by week, as I understood, again, I was not joking, really the first four months, like what the heck is anyone saying? And like, I'm, I'm a technical fellow. I'm supposed to be contributing at a fairly high level. And I don't literally don't understand a single sentence in this conversation. Uh, so that was pretty <laughs> difficult. But over the course of time, you learn it, then you start to make observations and you start to contribute. So yeah, it's, it's starting to get getting fun. Well, I'm glad. And it's interesting to think about someone with as much experience as you have still struggling, like what the time it takes for someone with all the competence and confidence in the world to actually dive into the deep end of something brand new and figure it out. Because we're all doing it to some degree, but you know, we kind of think that the technical fellows are at the top of the stack and kind of know their way around things, but you still need to learn. Well, at least I do. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe some of the other guys just get in here and they just sort of like intuit it. They get it all. Yeah, you're hammering away. Well, I have to say just from a purely personal perspective, like I'm in in awe of you, friend, for taking a big leap like this, wanting to do something new. You could have easily retired or done any number of things. To put yourself that uncomfortable says volumes about who you are. There you go. And uh, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Always a pleasure to talk to you, Richard. And we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio.